Well, good evening, everyone. Please turn in God's Word to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 12, found on page 1169 of the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 12, we're finishing this chapter tonight and finishing this section in Mark's Gospel. So Mark chapter 12, let's read from verse 35. Listen, this is God's Word. Then Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant. And so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Amen. The grass grows, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Well, at the start of the year, a painting was discovered by an antiques expert during a house clearance. And the 400-year-old painting was hanging behind a door that was always kept open. And so it was out of sight for many years. The owner died and the family cleared the house. And the family did not appreciate this piece of art or the value of this piece of art. It took an expert with an authority in art to see the worth of this piece. What did the family do in response? Did they mock the antiques expert? Did they question his authority? No. They sold the painting at auction with a guide price of $25,000. Well, this evening we plan to finish this section in Mark's Gospel, which is all about authority, the authority of Jesus Christ, an authority that was questioned by the religious leaders. Now, it all began with Jesus entering Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, pointing to the fact that he is the promised king. And we see his authority as king when he cleared out the temple, saying, this is my father's house. And he was challenged when they asked him, by what authority do you do these things? And today we see Jesus establishing his authority from Psalm 110. He is the son of David, but he is also the son of God. And with this authority, he will judge the world for he sees into the hearts of everyone. Jesus is watching the people in the temple, 
And he reveals those who are genuine and those who are false. Those who love God and devote their lives to him. And those who only love themselves. So I want you to notice Jesus has authority over you. For he is the son of God. And so you are to respond by devoting your life to him. But more than that, he has given his life for you. So you are not condemned. Well, firstly, notice Jesus demonstrates his authority over you from the Old Testament. So Jesus has been confronted by these religious leaders. They have asked him question after question. And he answers their questions and he leaves them in silence. They now understood that the right response was to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. But they were unwilling to do so. Now Jesus confronts them, for he has proven his authority. One preacher described how it's like there is a new sheriff in town. The tables have been turned. And so Jesus asks them a question. And he begins by saying, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? The scribes all agreed that the Messiah would come from the line of David. Jeremiah made that clear in his prophecy. Jeremiah 23 Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Jeremiah is not the only reference There are many references in the Old Testament that speak of the Messiah, the Christ being the Son of God, or Son of David, and we noted that in our call to worship. So the Messiah would come from this royal line, and therefore he would be a king, and he would be a king that saves. This is not controversial. The Jews were looking for a deliverer from David's bloodline. That was the hope of the Jews. And so you hear references to son of David regarding Jesus. This was what Bartimaeus called him, believing that Jesus is the Messiah. And the son of David was also the hope of these religious leaders. But they saw it as a restoration of the Davidic monarchy, a restoration to the state of Israel. They had a materialistic view of life, and so this earthly restoration fits with that mindset. Well, Jesus was teaching that his kingdom was not of this world. But then Jesus brings up Psalm 110, which is also a messianic prophecy about a certain one inheriting the throne of David. Notice how Jesus said, David wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is God's inspired word. This was an authority that the scribes recognized. Now, Jesus' point is not obvious in English, but when you look at his reference to Psalm 110, notice the first word, or the first Lord, is in capital letters. And this speaks of the covenant God of Yahweh. David is saying, the covenant Lord is speaking to my Lord. Well, who is David's Lord? Who is the second Lord that's mentioned here? Well, this Lord is the Messiah. And the religious leaders recognize that this is a messianic prophecy. 
but they never reconciled the confusion that this verse brought. David writes this, and everyone agrees that he is saying that God is speaking to the Messiah. But why would David call the Messiah, who would be one of his descendants, his Lord? David was a great, majestic king. The people longed for his kingdom again. It was seen as the pinnacle of Israel's history. It would not be normal for him to call one of his descendants Lord. The ancestor is always superior. In the UK at the moment, Charles is going to be crowned king. His predecessor, his mother, Queen Elizabeth, she never bowed to Charles. She never recognized him as her king. And likewise, why would David recognize the Messiah to be his king, to be his Lord? How could this Messiah be greater than David? Well, we see this Messiah would be given this exalted position at the right hand of God. All of his enemies would subject themselves to him. How would any human fit this description? And so the punchline of David's question, or Jesus' question is, since David himself calls him Lord, how is he then his son? Well, no one could answer Jesus' question. No one fully understood this prophecy. It was a conundrum how David's son could also be his Lord. And the only rational answer was the one they would not accept. David could not be referring to a mere human king. No, the Lord, the covenant God, is giving kingdom to God, the Lord. Yes, he is a descendant of David, but he is also God. He is a person in the Godhead. Ferguson writes, David's son could only be his Lord if he existed before him and after him. The Messiah was not only to be a man, but he would also be God. And this is Jesus pointing to the fact that he is the Messiah, that he is the Lord, that he is both human and God, that he is the eternal Son of God. And he became David's son when he was incarnated, when he came into this world as a man, when he was born to Mary, who is in the line of David. And Mark has made this point clear throughout his gospel. And right at the beginning of his gospel, he stated, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But this is what the religious leaders found to be so offensive. They said this was blasphemy. They could not accept that the Messiah would be God. And this was their grounds for crucifying Jesus. We read of this in John 5. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. But they should have instead recognized his authority, and it would be clearly evident when he rose from the dead at his resurrection. And Paul sums this up with the opening of his letter to Romans. Romans 1. The gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. 
And like Paul, they should have devoted themselves to him by being his servant. And that is true for each of you. You are to see Jesus as your Lord, as the authority in your life. And that will be evident in how you devote your life to him. So secondly, do not be like the religious leaders who are devoted only to themselves. This is verses 38 and 39. So the end of verse 37, we read that the crowds of people heard Jesus gladly. They were enjoying being a spectator to Jesus giving these religious leaders a hard time. He was exposing them to be false. Many of the crowd, they probably saw through elements of the show that these religious leaders put on. But because of the control that the religious leaders had in society, they could not speak out. Ireland was very much like that, uh, with the Catholic Church having a massive influence on many of the institutions of the state, especially in controlling education. Everyone trusted them, so that they were given a carte blanche, even when accusers did speak out of the abuse that they endured by the Catholic priests, these accusers were often marginalized because surely a member of the clergy would never do anything like that until an avalanche of sexual abuse in the church was exposed. And the result is that the Catholic Church in Ireland has been decimated. These huge church buildings that were built in the 70s and the 80s, they're now sitting half empty. And one commentator describes Ireland as a religious rust belt. And so you have a very similar culture in first century Judaism of religion controlling society in an unhealthy way. And everyone saw it. These religious men, they were more interested in building an earthly kingdom. They were more interested in materialism. It's no wonder they were not accepting Jesus Christ, for he was opposing what they were doing. He was setting up a spiritual kingdom, and so he threatened their material lifestyle. And he called them out. He called them out on using religion to gain power over the people. He noted how they wore these long and flowing white robes. Now, these were not practical clothes, but they were clothes that were made for these religious leaders to stand out. They wanted to make a presence. They wanted to be seen. Now, Queen Elizabeth was known for wearing bright colors, and she had a reason for that. She wanted to be seen. She was a very short lady and would be quite unnoticeable. And so she wore these bright colors to make sure that the members of the public would catch sight of her through the crowds of people. But she was queen. She was meant to be seen. These religious leaders are to serve the people by helping them know who God is. They were not to lord it over the people. And that is also seen in the respect that they demanded from the people. They even had rules that you were to stop whatever you were doing in the marketplace if you saw a religious leader. And then you had to greet him when he walked past. You had to call him rabbi or master. And these scribes enjoyed the notoriety that their position gave them. In the synagogue, they would take the best seats, the seats where everyone would see them. They would also take the best seats at a feast beside the host. 
It was customary at that time that if you had a feast in your home, you would have to invite one of these scribes to attend, and they would have to have the best seat in your house. And so these men were proud. They were obsessed about themselves and their status. This, therefore, had nothing to do with their devotion to God. Instead, they were devoted to themselves. It's clearly seen in verse 40, where they devoured widows' houses. Now, widows were the vulnerable of that day. And they would have looked to the religious leaders when before they would have looked to their husbands to help them make decisions. Well, these religious leaders, they abused the respect that they had from these widows, and they preyed on their wealth for their own gain. These religious leaders became rich while the widows became poor. And then we hear about their prayer lives. They made these long prayers. We read in Matthew's Gospel that they would stand in street corners to be seen when they, and would publicly pray. But they were not praying to God. They were praying prayers of performance to gain a reputation. Again, this is all about themselves when their focus should have been helping the people and helping them serve God. Ferguson writes, they used their position to further their own selfish ambitions and their desire for a reputation. Wilmhurst says, behind this respectable veneer, says Jesus, this apparent spirituality, this swanning around in fine clothes, this honor and distinction, behind all this, there is no reality, no heart for God, no love for people, not even any true reverence for his word, which they make so much of. It's one big lie, and Jesus condemns them. As we have seen, Jesus has every right to say that. He is the judge. Jesus sees into the hearts of these scribes. He knows what motivates them. He strips away their facade, and he shows what they are really like. But then we read these shocking words. They will be condemned. The people would not have expected that, that these religious leaders would be punished. And their condemnation is greater because they should have known better. They know the scriptures. They have no excuse. Throughout the Old Testament, there are warnings of shepherds of the people not caring for the sheep. They were doing the same thing here. They were certainly not keeping the greatest commandment to love God and to love their neighbor No, they only love themselves. And this is something we need to be careful of. Our hearts can be similar to these scribes. We can also be guilty of putting on a performance. We can turn our godly talk, our book reading, our preaching, our service to others into opportunities to promote ourselves, doing it only to serve ourselves. Our hearts can also be captured by materialism and greed. And so we can, put, we can be putting on a front of devotion to God. Instead, our hearts are devoted to material things. And this is a danger for each one of you. It's a danger for myself, preaching to you. James, in his letter, helps us see what it means to be devoted to God. James 1, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. 
pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. This is what it means to love God and to love your neighbor. It's not seeking a reputation for yourself. Instead, it is serving others. So you need to check your heart. Why do you do what you do? Are you guilty of putting on a facade when you come to church on a Sunday, but your life is far from God? And so you need to flee this hypocrisy, repent of your sins. We are in danger, like the scribes, of condemnation. For as the scribes will receive greater condemnation, so will we. We also have had many privileges. We know God's word. We have heard his warnings. And so God will judge us accordingly. These religious leaders are a warning to you. You're not to imitate them, for they are only devoted to themselves. Well, thirdly, you are to be like the widow who devoted her whole life to God. I wonder if any of you like to sit in a coffee shop or maybe in the airport and watch people go by. Maybe you wonder, what's their life story? What do they work at? Where are they going? What's going on in their lives? Well, we read of Jesus, people watching. Possibly he has already been watching the scribes and their performance, and now he is watching people put their money into the temple treasury. The temple treasury was located in the court of women. The treasury was not a box with a little slit on the top for you to discreetly put your money in. No, this was a huge metal receptacle. And on top of it was a trumpet-like bowl, a funnel to help the money fall into this metal box. And it would have been obvious if you were putting money into the box, if you were putting in a lot of money into the box, this This box was not encouraging silent offerings. Instead, it was making a huge noise. It would be like winning a slot machine when all the coins start falling out. But instead, the money is going into this receptacle. There's nothing discreet about it. And the fact that there are seats nearby where Jesus is sitting, it shows how giving an offering was a performance. You are telling the world how much you're giving to God. And often this is done today in raising money for charity. Look at how much this celebrity is giving. And they do it, not out of concern for the particular cause, but more for the opportunity to look good. That's what the rich are doing here. They're putting in a lot of money. And it would have created a stir among the crowds. Oh, wow, look at them. Look at how generous they are. Look at how rich they must be. That's not what Jesus was thinking when he watched them. He was not impressed. But he was impressed by someone who did not give much money. A poor widow who gave two mites, a couple of copper coins. Her offering would have barely made any noise at all. But Jesus is more impressed with her than the rich people. So much so that he calls his disciples. He points her out to them. Look at her. Look at what she has done. He tells the disciples that she has given more than all those who have given to the treasury. 
I'm not very good at math, but her two mites is not very much. A day's wage was a denarius. Her giving was about a thirtieth of that amount, barely anything. How can Jesus say that she is given more? Well, she gave more in terms of all that she had. They gave out of their abundance. They still had lots of money left over, even after giving large sums to the temple. It didn't hurt them to give. They didn't notice. But for her, she gave out of her poverty. She had nothing. It would affect her. But she was devoting her whole life to God. And that's what it means to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. She was doing this. The rich were not. How we give is important. They say that money talks, and it does. It reveals where our hearts are at. Matthew 6, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a challenge when it comes to giving to the Lord. As Jesus watched these people give their money into the temple treasury, he watches you too. Is he likewise impressed? Does he see your devotion like that of the widow? Or are you more are you focused more on this life? And that's evident how you use your money. Or are you focused more on eternal life? And so you give things that have eternal value. Wilmer says it's an adventure of faith to see what God will do when you give him full access to your money, when your wallet finally gets converted. It doesn't matter if you give little or give much. God is calling you to be devoted to him. It all belongs to him in the first place. And he can use much out of little. It costs very little to buy a Bible. And yet that one Bible can have an effect on hundreds, even thousands of people. And it's not just about money. It's also about what you do with your time or your energy or your your worship. There are lots of opportunities to serve one another in this church. There are organized ways, but there are also ways where you just take your own initiative. You sit down beside someone. You ask them how they are doing, how their week was. Whether you're willing to take time after the service to talk to people rather than quickly walk out the door. Many people speak of how strong the community is in this church but that takes you giving off yourself to others. You may not find that to be easy, but that is what it means to be devoted to Christ and to love him with all your heart when you love others. Well, fourthly, notice Christ took your condemnation by laying down his life. So are you like the scribes or are you like the widow? If we're being completely honest, we are like the scribes. We may not be wearing long, flowing robes, but our hearts are similar to how their hearts operate. We cannot say that we love God and give to him our whole lives. We often hold back so we can enjoy some of our money or our time or energy for ourselves. It's not that we are to be foolish with our resources, But few of us are guilty of giving more to others than we give to ourselves. And so like the scribes, we are under condemnation. Our devotion is not like that of the widow. But an even greater devotion 
than the widow is that of Jesus Christ. While she gave all she had, her two mites, her whole livelihood, Jesus laid down his very life. He gave 100% of all that he had. He left the glory of heaven to come into this world. He did this so that the Son of God would also be the Son of David. He laid down his very life by dying on the cross, taking on your condemnation and receiving the greatest condemnation and punishment, even though he never sinned. But he would take his life up again three days later in the resurrection. He would be exalted, and he is now reigning at the right hand of God. All his enemies are his footstool. And so in Christ, we are raised up to this new life. And there is nothing in this world, no riches, no respect that the world can offer that compares to knowing Christ. And that's how you can respond with devotion to him. C.T. Studd, the famous cricketer for England, but also known as a millionaire for God, gave up his wealth and his devotion to God. He writes, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Your sacrifice could be big, or it could only be two mites. But whatever it is, you are to sacrifice yourself in your love and in your devotion for God. And this you will do when you see Jesus as your authority, when you see him as the Son of God. So Jesus has authority over you, for he is the Son of God. And so respond by devoting your life to him. He has given his life for you, so you are not condemned. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus Christ is clearly the authority over each one of us. He is the Son of David. He is the Son of God. And so we thank you that he is our Messiah, rescuing us from our condemnation by taking that condemnation on himself. And Lord, help us to respond with complete devotion to you. Lord, even this week, in how we live our lives, that we would not be living it for ourselves, but that we would be living for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn your blue psalm book to Psalm 68b. Psalm 68b. The psalm speaks of Christ making his enemies his footstool, and instead his care is for the orphan, the widows, and the prisoners. We also are to see those in need. That was once us until Christ our Messiah rescued us. Let's stand and sing Psalm 68b.